As the 2016-2017 school year lets in on the campus of Georgia College, WRGC is happy to continue its collaboration with the American Democracy Project to share their weekly Times Talk conversation with WRGC's radio audience. Tonight, we'll reflect on one of the historic qualities of the 2016 presidential election by talking about two of the women who paved the way for Hillary Rodham Clinton to run for president atop the ballot of one of the two major political parties. I think that with all of these avenues potentially opening, I think we still have a lot of work to do to get to, you know, as the Constitution said, a perfect union. But I think we have a lot of work to do to get there. But I certainly think that with these occurrences that we're on a path toward it. So we just have to keep the momentum and keep working hard at it. Deidre Taylor of the Georgia College Cultural Center joins me to talk about Shirley Chisholm, Geraldine Ferraro, in the history of women in presidential politics on this edition of Georgia College Connections. Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today, our Times Talk topic is the history of women in politics. My guest is Dietra Taylor of the Georgia College Cultural Center. Deetra, welcome back to WRGC. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, and I'm just very happy that you are our first guest for this uh, next semester of the Georgia College Times Talk. All right. That's wonderful. We have a huge topic ahead of us, uh, but in the articles you presented, it kind of focuses down on two figures throughout the more modern history of women in politics. And that's Shirley Chisholm, a U.S. representative from New York City, and then Geraldine Ferraro, another member of the U.S. House of Representatives and uh, also from New York and a um, candidate for vice president back in 1984. I wanted to start off with Shirley Chisholm. There was one part of the article um, that you'll be talking about on Wednesday, and that was about her autobiography, Unbought and Unbossed. And in that, there's a quote from her, and I want to start our conversation off there. Our representative democracy is not working because the Congress that is supposed to represent the voters does not respond to their needs. I believe the chief reason for this is that it is ruled by a small group of old men. Now, again, that's Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm in her 1970 biography, Unbought and Unbossed. Now, if we look back to the ratification of the 19th Amendment, that happened in 1920, and then we look at this quote 46 years ago um, in 1970, where do we stand now in 2016? Well, a couple of things. Shirley Chisholm is a very important figure in the, the African-American community and also in the feminist movement. Her attempt at the presidency represents trying to diversify the office by killing two birds with one stone. She was a woman and she was African-American. 
So both of those uh, groups have been marginalized over American history. And um, if you go back to the 15th Amendment in the middle 1800s, the movement to get black men the vote in the 15th Amendment divided the women's movement and what had formerly been the abolition movement for slavery. I think Shirley kind of represents in the in the modern era, the coming together of, of those two movements um, after you had a pretty much male dominated civil rights movement with a few female um, activists, but still largely the civil rights leadership in the 60s was male-led. So you have that element. And basically, when you look at um, Shirley Chisholm and her effort, she's bringing in more people into the political process and the electorate. And she's bringing them in um, at the national level, um, particularly in the presidency. Um, We are now some 40 years removed from that moment. And we have elected Barack Obama, who is our first um, African-American president. And we are now having our first female presidential candidate in Hillary Clinton. And the pattern between what happened in 2008 and what happened over the 15th Amendment is kind of similar, where the black men got the office first. Um, They also got the vote first. And then the women got the vote um, after. So with women like Shirley Chisholm, other feminist activists like Audre Lorde and Angela Davis, you kind of have this combination of being black and a woman and trying to move the needle forward to have a more inclusive voice in in the political electorate. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm happy that you brought in the 2008 election um, because one of the things that I thought is we're on the precipice of these historic moments like this, them perhaps not, you know, being as sea changing as we would like to think they are. And so one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, after the 2008 election, there were a lot of people that wanted to to declare that we live in a post-racial America because Barack Obama would be the first black man elected president. Now, as we look in 2016, are we possibly living in a post-gender inequity America because we have a a woman at the top of one of the ballots for the two major political parties? Um, I do not think so. I do not think that we've achieved the post-racial America either. So um, both of those things have yet to be achieved. We have some of the similar comments that Geraldine Ferraro faced when she ran um, in 1984, how the female candidates look. Sarah Palin also went through that as well in 2008. So how they look, what their husbands do, what does that look like, their family life at home, if they have kids, how do they plan on balancing the job? So I think um, Hillary Clinton is getting those same types of questions, although she doesn't have any um, young children at home. She's a grandparent, and there's still the question about how she's going to balance her family time and male candidates do not get that. Donald Trump has not been asked about family time. I think the only thing that he was asked was about how he's going to manage the business, whether or not the Trump corporation will continue. So there's, there's some differences there. I think with Barack Obama, we've seen a pattern of some racial unrest So I think even with him having that major achievement and representing um, the presidency, which is important, you still have wounds that either were ignored for many years and until Obama got into office, people started, you know, being upset with that or, you know, kind of expressing more of their problems. And I think you may see the same thing or something similar with a woman president as people who, you know, don't necessarily agree with that. It's not necessarily what side of the aisle, but just the idea of of that uh, representation in that particular office. Um, You may see see some more gender um, issues come up. So we'll we'll see what happens in November. Well, I want to, for the last question of this segment, ask you, what do you think is the relationship between these history makers, um, the Barack Obamas of the world, the Hillary Clintons at the top of their party's uh, nominating ticket, in the reality that the rest of us live in? Yeah, um, that's an excellent question. I think many times marginalized groups, people feel that they have to be perfect or near perfect to move the needle. And I think as we watch people like Barack Obama break barriers and Hillary Clinton break barriers in the various government offices that she held and um, is seeking, 
I think um, we see some of the similarities of this demand that you be somehow perfect. There is a phrase in the black community, um, you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. And so I think we see that anytime we look at marginalized people, be they African-American or women or Latinos or any of the other uh, marginalized groups. Well, we're going to take a break right there. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're bringing back our collaboration with the American Democracy Project to host their Times Talk conversations for our radio audience. We're talking about the history of women in politics. My guest is Deidre Taylor, who's here on behalf of the Georgia College Cultural Center. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Trails of troubles, rows of battles, paths of victory, we shall walk. The road is dusty, the road is a mighty rough, better road is a wing, the day is not far off. Trails of troubles, rows of battles. the river I turned my head up high I saw that silver lining that was hanging in the sky well I saw the trails of the trouble the rows of the battles as of victory we shall walk the gravel road is a bumpy well, it's a harder road to ride there's a clearer road awaiting with the cinders on the other side Oh, we got trails of a trouble And we got rows of a battle Pass of a victory We shall walk Evening train was a-rolling A humming of the wheels I saw a better day As I looked across the field Well, I saw trails of a troubles Rows of a battles, paths of a victory, we shall walk. The trail is dusty, the road is a mighty rough. The good road awaiting, oh, the day is not far off. Oh, we got trails, trails of trouble, and we got our roads, roads of a battle. Paths of victory, we shall walk. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. We're continuing today our collaboration with the American Democracy Project to bring their weekly Times Talk conversation to our radio audience. The topic of our conversation today is the history of women in politics. I'm joined in the studio by Deidre Taylor of the Georgia College Cultural Center. Now, I'm going to take us back to where we were as we were leaving out that last segment. And I wanted to present another quote um, by Shirley Chisholm. Um, and this is talking uh, post her presidential run in 1972. And she said this, when I ran for Congress, when I ran for president, I met more discrimination as a woman than for being black. Men are men, end quote. And so... I wanted to ask, do you think that the divide between gender remains wider than it does between races or ethnicities? I think that they are roughly the same. I think that a lot of times in politics or business, women kind of get pushed to the side no matter what their race is um, due to the fact that men just don't want to listen like to their voices. And that's also kind of stereotypical um, that women have higher pitched voices and that you know, men don't want to listen to them. But aside from the stereotype, um, I think that it's just the way that women have been trained kind of gender socialized to be to consider other people, um, consider how a policy might affect a family or older people or 
younger folks. So we, you know, a lot of times we've been socialized to look at more than just ourselves and people who are like us. And I think sometimes when men are trying to make decisions in business and politics and they all come from similar backgrounds and um, they all kind of think in similar ways, they don't often look at those things. And I think oftentimes women, when we're in boardrooms and we're in political situations, we try to look at policies and how, how will this affect group A, group B, group C. Um, and oftentimes I don't think they've been socialized to want to take that time to, to do that. Um, so I can definitely see Shirley's frustration with being a woman and trying to get in those areas and make policy and that people not necessarily wanting to hear what she had to say. I also think that as African-Americans, um, especially in the time that Shirley was you know, active in the 70s, um, a lot of African-Americans had menial jobs. So you're supposed to be seen and not heard. So I think that both of those things probably did affect her, um, whether she acknowledged that part or not. You know, a lot of black women work in lunchrooms at that time and or domestic um, duties. And so, you know, men still looking at her as you're supposed to be cleaning or you're supposed to be cooking and you're not supposed to say anything. Um, that probably also had some effect. But yes, definitely um, Shirley being such a powerful woman and such an outspoken figure, um, I would definitely see that she had a lot of trouble in the 70s. And one of the things you mentioned, I believe, in the last segment was about our perceptions of what gender roles need to be. And, you know, them not ever being held against the man about, you know, his responsibility to his children, raising his children. Uh, what is he doing out there campaigning all the time? Doesn't he know he has children who need to be put to bed? But this is always being held against women. Why do you think that that is, especially as we move into, you know, the 21st century and we have so many different family makeups and stuff, why does this still, is this a weight around women um, and not men in the, you know, I guess in the public political consciousness? Yeah, I think by and large, our um, public perceptions have not really changed. I think they're gradually starting to change. And I think some of the... Um, Diversity when we talk about gender issues, even including the LGBT community, has changed a lot of that. If you still go into a toy section, there's still kind of girls' and boys' toys. I think um, there are some stores that are trying to transition out of that. But if you look at some of the girls' toys, they're still around the kitchen and little doll babies that you're supposed to take care of. So I think we're still socializing both girls and boys to really think of child rearing and domestic duties as a, a woman's role, whether that in, in reality is actually being done at home or in homes across America. Certainly, we've seen women be successful at juggling both, but there are women that do not. Um, there, there are husbands that stay home with, with children, and that is trending upwards. As a matter of fact, I believe it started trending upwards uh, with the economic situation in 2008. A lot of men who did not have um, employment started you know, staying home more with their, the families. So it's kind of interesting how we still have this stereotype that we still hold it, even though things are changing around us. I guess just to stay one more for one more question on these areas where you know we have these differing levels of expectations for women. Not only is there the perceived gender roles for family, um, but also just I guess. Well, I'm not even sure where to actually bring this in because you know it just seems so far out of left field that maybe this question is just another manifestation of that. But I had read in the article you're presenting about Geraldine Ferraro about how. While she was out on the campaign trail, uh, so many of the questions were ungermane to what the office she was running for. And that, you know, not only was she expected to be able to answer the most minute details about nuclear disarmament, but also about her looks and how they play into her being a successful candidate for vice president back in the 80s. Um, when you see these challenges and you compare them to where we are right now, are you seeing a lot of these issues that uh, that plague Shirley Chisholm and plague Geraldine Ferraro 
have we made any progress in the way that we treat uh, women in the political sphere? Um, not very much, unfortunately. Sarah Palin was um, taken a task in 2008 about her clothing and her hair and, and her style. Hillary has gotten um, a lot of comments over the years um, about her hair and her pantsuits, which have kind of become iconic, but still a lot of criticism of why is she always wearing pantsuits? Does it mean something? So a lot of those questions take away from whatever issues that need to be discussed in the political sphere. So I think we could do a lot better with our reporting um, and not asking uh, women these questions. Also, you can even look at the Olympic coverage. And there were similar questions about how women athletes looked and who who was on their support team if their husband was part of that giving the husband credit for their achievements. So we still have a, a long way to go in our society with our um, women professionals all across the board. And now, you know, we, of course, we work on a college campus. And, you know, many times as we're viewing these large-scale national political events, we're viewing them through the media, which is aiming towards a viewership that skews a little bit older. As you're on the Georgia College campus, are you seeing these kinds of discrepancies between how we uh, treat men and women more or less pronounced as you speak to young people? In other words, is the next generation coming up the same or differently than what we've seen, you know, as we look at Shirley Chisholm and as we look at Geraldine Ferraro and as we look at, you know, the Hillary Clinton campaign? I think the younger generation are more aware of social issues than, say, um, back in the days where um, Shirley Chisholm was trying to run. Um, I think that they are very critical to the point that they don't look at a Hillary Clinton as being a woman candidate and then the need to vote because she's a woman. They look at her as a, as a candidate, as a person. So I think we're seeing a slight shift. However, because of this long history of exclusion of women from the political sphere, I think it's important that we stop and appreciate the, the historical significance of her candidacy and potential presidency, because this would be the first time that our country has had a woman as a leader, unlike some of our other European counterparts. Um, I was reading also in the article with of Geraldine Ferraro, and they were asking her about nuclear codes and whether or not she could handle those. And those are some of the same historical questions that women leaders throughout um, time have gotten, um, especially think of Elizabeth I. You know, a lot of mistrust as to whether or not she could handle um, a military maneuver. And of course, she did with the Spanish Armada back in the 1600s, but still very distrustful of women kind of at the helm as a commander in chief. I think Hillary Clinton has positioned herself um, a little bit better in that she has some experience with the State Department. And we've had some other female secretaries of state, including Madeleine Albright and Condoleezza Rice. So both sides of the aisle there, um, in addition to Hillary Clinton. So I think that gives a little bit uh, more credibility to her candidacy, because as our diplomat, she had to be briefed and, of course, be capable of military matters. Um, she, of course, was also in that famous picture where um, Osama bin Laden, you know, was captured that evening. So she um, took a, a key role in that. So I think although we just don't have any experience as a country, I certainly think that women are capable. And I think the younger generation sees women as being capable because we've had women in some of these roles. And I would also think that this generation is raised with serious challenges to the kind of Mayberry perception of where America is and that, mm -hmm. you know, they're mothers, you know, many times I'm sure have been in the workforce, you know, perhaps their mother was the the lead breadwinner, you know, and, you know, the archetype of the household and, and sit, um, setting the tone for the way that they perceive these different gender roles as we boldly go into the 21st century, <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Well, we're going to take another short break right now, but if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're talking about the history of women in politics, and this is a part of our collaboration with the American Democracy Times Talk to bring those weekly conversations to our radio audience. So if you're enjoying our conversation today, please consider coming out and joining the dialogue 
at noon on Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, this episode is the first in a series of collaborations that we do each school year with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College. And this brings their Times Talk conversation to our radio audience. Of course, the Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place on Wednesdays at the Georgia College Library. It's free and open to the public. So if you enjoy our conversation, please come out and join the dialogue at noon on Wednesdays. Today, we're talking about the history of women in politics. I'm joined by Deetra Taylor from the Georgia College Cultural Center. We thought we'd start this segment off um, with one of the um, 
well, gosh, I would like to have said more incendiary comments of this last campaign cycle, but really, in hindsight, it actually is you know, fairly tame. Um, but I, I think that for our co- topic of conversation today, you know, it is probably one of the more incendiary comments to have been uttered in this campaign cycle. And this is a uh, just a sound clip of former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright at a Hillary Clinton campaign event. We can all we can tell our story about how we climbed the ladder, and a lot of you younger women don't think you have to. It's been done. It's not done, and you have to help. Hillary Clinton will always be there for you. And just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. <laughs> Wow. I, I think that kind of ups the ante a little bit uh, for some of the campaign rhetoric uh, that we've been hearing. Um, and maybe that's just me with a ma- kind of a male-centric view on it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think if we were to say the male side of the aisle, you know, there's no conversations about being a, uh, a gender traitor for um, thinking about voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, can you, I guess, you know, give us your thoughts on this comment and kind of place it in like the broader social context. Yeah, so it reminded me of the split between the women's movement and the black community um, when the 15th Amendment was passed. To get the black men the vote, that was the 15th Amendment. Um, Basically, there was a coalition between women and abolitionists um, that freed the slaves. And Frederick Douglass was partnering with Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony with that. And once the 15th Amendment went through and it um, excluded women from the vote, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony withdrew from basically um, supporting the freedom efforts of African-American men in particular and started to work exclusively with other women and not have any males in their coalition to gain women the right to vote. That took another long time from like 1867 to 1920 to get the 19th Amendment passed. And both in in the black community, women um, kind of feminist community, LGBT community, you also have kind of identity politics, what people you know refer to as that, whereas the marginalized group, whatever they are, needs to support whatever candidate from that marginalized community. And I think since we had Barack Obama kind of going in 2008, kind of repeating that 15th Amendment pattern of the black man comes before the, the woman, I think Madeleine Albright is just speaking to that frustration as that we still have not arrived as a society until we can give a woman an equal chance at the highest office in the land. And I think she is trying to remind the younger generation who grew up seeing herself, Hillary Clinton, Condoleezza Rice, um, in these very powerful roles, as well as several uh, women governors have increased throughout the nation, women in business, all of these things were much, are much better than they were in the 70s, trying to let them know that it's not over, it's not a said and done thing, that there's still some more work left to do. But that is kind of difficult, again, with this generation that's looking at Hillary is just like a simple little applicant for a job. Like they're not necessarily looking at the fact that she's a woman, not all the the younger voters. And they're looking at her just with that same critical eye that they would a Donald Trump since he's on the other side of the aisle in this um, political race. So I think they're just firmly trying to give some more context and some more motivation. It's, you know, to make them consider this long history of uh, women and their um, position in, in American society. And do you think that that comment you know, was a good one, um, especially for women voters out there? And then, you know, perhaps the the men who are peering over their shoulders, wondering how they're going to vote in that in the sense that it offered a more, you know, we're kind of beyond this voting on, you know, identity politics. Yeah, I think that's difficult for a lot of women voters, especially younger uh, women voters. I can remember when Sarah Palin was attached to the Republican ticket in 2008 and it was kind of the same question of, well, just because she's a woman, are we supposed to support her um, and not necessarily look at the ideologies um, behind it? And I think women and American voters, we have to look at the person's ideology, their record and all of these things, in addition to what they represent. 
And that's certainly not a takeaway from a Sarah Palin or a Hillary Clinton or a Condoleezza Rice or a Madeleine Albright um, for, you know, their achievements and being on a ticket or um, attempting to hold an office. Um, I think that's great. I think we need more women to run for these offices and positions. And maybe at that time, it won't be such a, a novelty thing and there won't be such attention or a need to have that one uh, person, you know, represent. I think that's kind of the pressure that the marginalized groups are seeing overall. I think that was there with um, Barack Obama in 2008 is we haven't had one let's, you know, let's have one from our community um, kind of thing. I think once it's more normalized, then some of this rhetoric will kind of go away. We'll start looking at the woman for their ability and their ideology a bit more. And when we have these areas um, where, you know, there's still the struggle to be fought, what are your thoughts on the pressures that these history makers, shall we say, are under to represent that community that is, you know, uh, gathered around them just simply based on their gender or racial identity? And, you know, it's got to be a a tightrope to walk in addition to all the other pressures that you would have as the leader of the free world. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think we saw that with Barack Obama since he had had the presidency. We can't really say much about Hillary since she doesn't have it yet. But he had to make the statement that he was president for everybody, not just looking at the black community. And I think that's kind of incredible because the black community with so many tragedies and um, even still today, there's so much of a wanting to have something that just kind of is the black communities, but the office is for the whole country. And I think he, he did that very skillfully. And I think at times um, when we've had some tensions with Trayvon Martin and, and other um, tragic events, he's come out and made statements and talked about his experience growing up as a black male to kind of, you know, remind the country you know, that these young men are people just like he was. And he was given some opportunities throughout the way and some support and that we need to look at each other as people and not just threats. And I think the same can be said of of a Hillary Clinton or a a female president, whoever um, she may be, in that it's going to bring attention to some of these issues. Hillary Clinton, of course, has had a long career, being a lawyer, and then also, um, you know, being a parent and um, first lady of a state and then first lady of a nation and then um, secretary of state. So I think she will have a lot of similar stories of her struggle as maybe being one of the first female people at the law firm, you know, maybe a first female person with that degree being a first lady and how that was different. And we've heard some of that from her already because she's been in public roles before, but I think the presidency will give her a new platform for some of those um, stories. Well, as you've been saying this, the idea that's rolled through my head uh, several times is humanizer in chief, Um, being able to open up the doorways for people to actually have these kind of human relations um, with someone, even though like they may not be having them in their hometown, but by that you have, um, you know, let's just say people who look different at the, you know, who can, you know, command the, the radio and television waves at any time, it does force you to um, allow a little bit more of the diversity of our country into your home and you know, into your mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think we still have a, a long way to go with that. And one is not necessarily going to do it, you know, um, so we'll hopefully have a more diverse people in the presidency. Yeah, 43 white men is a, is a lot um, over our 200 plus years of existence. So we're just now kind of starting to diversify um, that office. So hopefully we'll we'll see more. Well, let's take another short break right now and, and come back for one more segment uh, after this. But if you're just joining us, we're talking with Deidre Taylor of the Georgia College Cultural Center. And she's the facilitator for our next American Democracy Project Times Talk, which takes place at noon each Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. And this program is a part of our collaboration with that American Democracy Project to bring those Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. 
Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're continuing today our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. If you're just tuning in, today we're talking about the history of women in politics. Joining me in the studio is Deetra Taylor of the Georgia College Cultural Center. Now, we've been talking about the history of women in politics, and I think that I've been kind of looking at some of the negative sides and some of the challenges that have been faced by women throughout the 200 plus year history of U.S. politics, I guess U.S. as a country. Um, And I don't want to end it out that way. So I wanted to ask you, as you look at this political season in, you know, I guess the seasons leading up to it through the lens of gender equality, what are some of the things that have been going right? Well, I think we're having more discussion about gender in the United States. And I think um, that has helped facilitate Hillary Clinton or, you know, a female candidate for president. And I think also with the discussions about gender, um, you've also had alongside that women command heads of businesses, law firms, you know, secretaries of state, all, all of these offices. And I think we're seeing more acceptance from, especially, like I said, from the younger generation who are kind of growing up with these ideas, women are certainly capable, like all of these businesses and things have been successful. So I think we are now wrapping our heads around the fact that this is a, a real possibility um, that we can have um, equal participation of both genders and people who are identified differently on the gender spectrum, the non, non-binary people. Um, I think that um, with all of these avenues potentially opening, I think we still have a lot of work to do to get to 
you know, as the Constitution said, a perfect union. Uh, I think we have a lot of work to do to get there. But I certainly think that with these occurrences that we're on a path toward it. So we just have to keep the momentum and keep working hard at it. Um, I think the little even the little things like the toy aisle, you know, um, kind of dismantling that is helpful for future generations to kind of imagine the possibilities and kind of take the limits off of, of gender. Uh, it's fine to be female. It's fine to be male. It's fine to not identify as either. So I think those are very important um, ideas, but also facts that, you know, we, we should infuse our society uh, with. And you shared something with me before, right before we got into um, the interview, and you're talking about a bookending situation in your life that you've seen um, with, uh, well, I'll let you you say it so I don't I'll steal your thunder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, the bookending story is that um, I was born on July 12th, 1984, and Geraldine Ferrara accepted the um, nomination for vice president on July 19th, 1984. So now, um, I, 32 years later, I get to see a female candidate for a major political office, the presidency. And so that is a lot of changes um, in my one lifetime. And it's interesting that this particular woman, um, we've seen her um, over my lifetime being first lady and secretary of state and now um, a candidate um, second time around um, for the presidency. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in November. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. And even beyond November, you know, with this you know, trajectory of history, you know, what's beyond November? What's one way or another? Right. Definitely. Hopefully we'll see more female candidates on both sides of the aisle. That would be great to see. Refreshing change. And as we so commonly do, I'd like to close our conversation today with for those who will be uh, attending the Times Talk this week, noon on Wednesday in the Georgia Commons Library. What do you hope the audience gets out of this conversation? Well, I hope they realize the importance of the historical moment that we're witnessing. And I hope that they take away from it um, a little bit more of an understanding about how gender affects things in society and whether or not it should um, affect things in society. I think we're leaning toward a path historically is that it's gender is kind of going away. Um, these kind of static gender roles are kind of going away and people are having more freedom of choice and, and kind of what does that mean uh, for America? Um, and what does that mean to be American in this new kind of conversation that we're having? Does our freedom include freedom from gender? It's some interesting questions and thoughts um, as we're we're heading forward toward a more perfect union, I guess, as, as the constitutional founders would say. And I just do want to say that I appreciate you bringing this conversation to WRGC Studios here. I think that to, on a personal note, I think in the um, Hillary Clinton's candidacy, it's so easy to think that, you know, she's out there blazing that trail by herself. And I'm glad that through the articles you brought here, you uh, shine a light on some of the folks who came beforehand and helped clear out that trail so that we could be at you know this moment where, you know, there is a, a woman who could possibly be the uh, leader of the free world. Yeah, most definitely. Glad to do it. <laughs> well, Deidre, thank you very much for coming out and sharing this conversation with our radio audience. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Oh, pleasure is all mine. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we continued our collaboration with the American Democracy Project to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Again, the Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please consider coming out and joining the dialogue again at noon on Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure to share this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections. And I just want you to know, I look forward to convening with you next time.
Ain't got no sweaters, ain't got no perfume, ain't got no love, ain't got no faith. I ain't got no culture, ain't got no mother, ain't got no father, ain't got no brother, ain't got no children, 